What's your mom? A working mom. And what did she write? The working mom. The working mom blueprint. blueprint. And what should they do? Go buy buy it today. The Working Mom Blueprint is now available wherever books are sold. Go grab it for yourself, for a friend, for a sister, for a colleague, so we can help working moms, all moms, to thrive, not just survive on their motherhood journey. Mm Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. It's Dr. Whitney here to share, hopefully, some really valuable tips, but then also mindset considerations for all of us who are really trying to do life and home and really be true to ourselves and make sure that we stay centered in the process. Today, my guest is Sarah Peck. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm such a fan of the show, so it's great to be here. Okay, Sarah, tell us all about yourself. Don't hold back. Start from the beginning. Tell us about your journey into the place you are today. Sure. It's the older you get, the longer the story gets too. You like look back and you're like, oh yes, that part in my 20s. Oh yes, that part here. But I took a very circuitous path to what I do now. I studied psychology in undergrad and architecture, landscape architecture. I got a graduate degree. I went into a career I thought I would have for my whole life. I made it about five years into that career, and it was really not the place for me. It was not what I wanted to do. And I had one of those moments where I was like, well, I've taken $100,000 out in student loans, and I don't like the job that I have. Like, Where do I go next? And I pivoted. This was around the time of the rise of social media. And so I started doing consulting for design firms on how do you use social media? Like what would an architecture firm post on Facebook? How would we use something like Twitter? And ended up leaving to become a freelancer and helped people with communications. How do you tell your story? How do you visualize your story? Where do you tell it? Who do you tell it to? And became an accidental marketer. And the projects I worked on did pretty well. University of Pennsylvania ended up acquiring one of the digital magazines that I created, which was super cool. And then I got into the startup scene. So Silicon Valley, tech startups, helping people with PR, super fast paced. I am a slow twitch person. So it was really tough on my nervous system. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I was like, I cannot answer emails fast. Like, I don't know how people do it. Me too. I'm a thoughtful email person. That's why I have to have a bucket of time because otherwise I'm 
it really stresses me out. <laughs> totally. And like, but I would also get nervous overnight. I was like, oh, I didn't answer it. Like it was, it's to all the PR professionals out there. I salute you because it is like a nervous system thing that I, it, it really stresses me out. So, and yet I'm in the startup world. And while I was at a startup, I got pregnant with my first kid, really looked around and I said, where are the pregnant women in tech? I was on a mostly male team. They were mostly in their 20s. There's only one other person who had kids. He was a dad. And that was not something we talked about at work. So it was like, okay, I'm going to become a parent and I'm pregnant. And then wait, who do I tell? Like, why doesn't, what's here? Like, I didn't, it was so confusing. And also so much harder than I expected. Almost, I don't know. It's like, if we go back to the mindset of myself as a 28-year-old, this is always embarrassing for me to say out loud, but I try to say it out loud all the time because I think it's important to say. I thought if I just had the right systems or the right tools or enough energy or enough drive or enough focus or enough motivation, like I could make it work. Mm-hmm. Like I would just be better at it. And that is such an arrogant thing to say and such a privileged thing to say but I'm, I can't pretend that I didn't think it, right? Like I, I did, I was like, oh, I'll be able to make it because I'll just work harder than everyone else was my mm-hmm. assumption. And you can't work harder at getting pregnant. Like it's, it's beyond your control. You know, you can't work harder at having kids. You can't control whether or not you have a miscarriage. You cannot, it's like you can't control who your kid is, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't even control your birth experience. And so that idea of, individualism and power and control really took me to task. You know, that was not an easy, I would say still 10 years later is still something I'm learning. Uh, Yes, my gosh, you and I are soul (laughs) sisters on this because absolutely, I'm really glad that you are directly talking about that feeling because I actually think the reason that a lot of us as women have that thought of I just need to be the one that works harder. I just need to be the one that figures out a system. I just need to be the one that I guess gets like more help and I'll just pay for it. Like it'll all work out is because that is the message that has been taught to us. That's right. You know, I mean, a couple things, right? It's been taught to us externally from kind of this like working woman world. I mean, that was the whole initial lean in gist was like, just do it. And that, that came perfectly honestly from a, a, a place of, of of privilege of well yeah if you can get a nanny of course it's gonna yeah, be easier right. for you well yeah if you can get social assistance for your kids social emotional assistance for your kids if they have difficulties that's gonna be easier for you of course if you have money to begin with it's gonna be easier for you and so there's these external pressures I think that tell us that message and then I think that there's a lot of self-help information out there and like pseudo psychology out there also about like manifesting this deal about like if I just want it enough if I just work hard enough at it I'm gonna be this amazing person over here and I want people to be like reaching for the stars and reaching their full potential but man there's a difference between leaning into kind of like these are the things I can control and this is what I can't control yes and this will happen. I just have to believe in myself enough and I have to like work myself to the bone to make it happen. There's a difference between those two things. 
There's a, there's a huge difference. And I think that there is a role for individuals and there's a role for society. And mm-hmm. figuring out that the intersection of those two is really important. And right now we're putting the burden of responsibility on the individual, like 90% on the individual and 10% on society. And we see this in all of the messaging that you're talking about. And even in this concept of like a bad mom, mm-hmm. we use the term bad mom to excuse societal failings. And I don't think anybody's a bad mom. I think society is the bad parent because they haven't done the job that they're supposed to do. We mm-hmm. set mothers up for failure. Just one example is you would assume if you had a kid that you would be able to find childcare. Like mm-hmm. that is a natural assumption that you might have in like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a kid and like, we're gonna get help. Okay, great. Except for the fact that 50% of Americans live in what's known as childcare deserts, where there is no childcare available to you, mm-hmm. or you can't find a nanny, or daycares have a five-year wait list. So by the time you get off the wait list, you're, you don't need it anymore. And these are things that I just, like, I did not know going into it. And it took me a while to realize and wake up like, oh, I'm not broken. I can't, I can't take on building 17 childcare institutions for my city. Like something is something bigger than me is broken. Yes. I mean, and I think also the cultural expectation that moms in particular will show up like they aren't moms and that there's something that you're losing in terms of your bargaining power or in terms of your seat at the table if you do show up as a mom. So, for example, on the childcare front, I take my kids to school in the morning. And my youngest daughter, all she wants me to do is stay with her until the second bell rings and I can walk her to the door with the class in the little line and I can be part of it. She doesn't want me to leave early. And for the longest time, it's like, no, mommy has to work. I need to go. Okay. I have to go because I start at nine. I need it. And then I realized like, what am I doing? I should be able to start work at nine ten. If that's the thing that works better for my family, that's starting at nine. But the reason that I wasn't asking for that from my employer was because I thought that somehow that would put me in a negative light or somehow I wouldn't look like a team player or somehow I would be less than if I did it. It's so disheartening because there is anti-mom bias out there. Like if you show up as a mom, you get critiqued and penalized. And this isn't, this isn't just a perceptual thing. This is documented with research, right? We mm-hmm. know that people get, they lose money, they lose jobs, they get discriminated against this. It's so terrible. And yet fathers will get a little bit of a bump because being a dad is seen as a good thing. It's like, oh, he's so caring. He's so compassionate, except for when he has to actually take care of the children. So mm-hmm. they get the bump from the perception, but not from the actual doing of the work. And it's all sorts of messed up all over the place. And I love what you said. It's like, wait, where, like what inside of this little teeny tiny moment, the 9am thing, like, what if I just never started a meeting until 930? Like, what Mm -hmm. if I worked seven hours a day instead of eight? Like, what harm does that cause? What benefit does that gain? Like, am I a more at peace, relaxed practitioner if I work 34 hours a week instead of 40? And, you know, what's the real issue here? I think, I think those little questions are really important. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you had we uh, we we digress, but I love it because I think it's an important thing that we have to talk about, and I want people. I want to give air to it because I know people are feeling that, and then sometimes not realizing what is kind of the dissidence or what's the inner conflict that's happening. Okay, so you had your baby, or you got pregnant. You were trying to get pregnant, 
you were working for this startup or for these startups. And then what happened? Well, it was interesting. I got this new job at a startup where I talked to the CEO openly while I was interviewing. And I said, I'm 30. I'm probably going to try to start getting pregnant soon. So let's figure out how we can plan for this together going forward. And he was really open to it. And he said, something that has shaped some of my viewpoints, like we're a startup, we figure things out. And I loved that approach because the world of startups is about figuring out things that haven't been done before. And parenting is about figuring out things that haven't been done before or figuring mm. things out for yourself that you haven't done before. And I was like, oh, wh- wow, these things are a lot more related. Like we have to be super responsive. We have to be like in the moment, like things change on a dime. And these skill sets aren't that far apart. And yet the tech culture in the 90s and the 2000s is really white male college dropout centric. And so we said, what if we did this differently? And I worked with them for the better part of two years. But when I had my kid, I pitched a book proposal to one of the top literary agencies in New York City to talk about working at a startup and being pregnant. And I had this chance to work on a book. And so I ended up leaving the startup because I was like, I, I'm you know, this is one of my dreams. And and they knew this was one of my dreams to write a book. So I took leave with a tiny infant to start writing a book. It's a long story, but the short story is in writing the book, I started interviewing parents and then I accidentally started a podcast, which became the (laughs) Startup Parent Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So the book, I mean, let's get into that. Give me like, if you could give two to three nuggets from the book that you think are like either aha moments that parents are going to find or really like practical tips that parents can use. Give me those. Give me, give me the crux of it. The problem is, is that I wrote five different versions of a book proposal and I ended up splitting it into two different concepts. And I wrote like a hundred thousand words and didn't yet publish a book because it went (laughs) in two different directions. Yeah. And I got so many sponsors for the podcast that I looked over at my husband and I was like, I think I'm going to have to file some paperwork and like pay some taxes. And so I had this business that I started in the midst of all of it. So I became a startup parent while trying to write a book and run a podcast. And I focused on the business. Mm -hmm. The concept of the book is one of the books is about the lies that we tell mothers, like all of the lies about motherhood that are out there, because there's so many narratives about what you're supposed to look like and what motherhood is supposed to be like. And I just kept finding them to be completely untrue. Like all women are supposed to become parents. That's not true. Like a lot of women don't want to become parents. And yet there's this dominant narrative, like if you're a woman, you're going to want to become a mom. Another one is that you're going to enjoy parenting. Not all people enjoy parenting. And that is so taboo to say. It makes people deeply uncomfortable. But I wish there was more of a world where we could say, yo, this job sucks. I'm doing Mm -hmm. it. I'm still a good parent. But this job is not fun for me. So that's, you know, one of the lies that pregnancy is going to be easy that it's going to come naturally. That's not mm-hmm. true either. A lot of people can't get pregnant. You know, one in eight people struggle with infertility and one in four pregnancies can end in miscarriage, depending on, you know, how we count, right? Yeah. Like the research, we don't, we don't always know exactly how many miscarriages there are because not even we know if we're going through it. So those are some of the examples. And I go through seven lies of motherhood and then outline what I think are the truths. Yeah. Okay. That's rad. And it made me think about today I was volunteering in my youngest daughter's classroom because again, she like really wants me to be at her line. She wants me to be part of the classroom. (laughs) And I've been dreading it for a week. 
right? Because I hate volunteering in the classroom. There's too many kids. I like parenting my two kids together most of the time. But when you get more than like five or six kids, I don't know what happens. My anxiety riles up, the sensory overload. You got the one kid who's in the corner beating the other kid and you're trying to control their their behaviors while the teacher looks at you and wonders why you can't do it. Like I hate it, right? And so I told (laughs) the person at the front office as I'm checking in, I go, I needed my badge so that way I could volunteer in the classroom. She goes, Oh, okay. Let me enter you into the system because you'll be coming back and you'll be doing this again. I'm sure (laughs) multiple times. And I said to her directly, I go, no, you don't understand. This is actually a one-time thing for me that I am doing to appease my child, but I will never be coming back here. This is actually just a one-time thing. And the look on this poor woman's face, as I fed her the truth, about what is the reality for me as a working person and as a mom who wants to show up for her kid and be part of it and not have my child be the only person whose mom never shows up or whose parent never shows up in the room, but who detests the work that I'm about to do for the next three hours. This poor woman. But it just made me think about these lies that we tell ourselves, even about how we have to show up as parents or as people in the world. So giving ourselves permission to be out loud about that, I think is actually helpful and really combating, combating those lies. It's so true. I think one of the most painful things about being a parent is this like mindset thing of, wait, I'm supposed to love this, right? I'm supposed to enjoy this. This is supposed to be fun. And then being like, that's in, that is in deep contrast with your actual experience, which is like, actually, I don't like this at all. And being honest about that is not a permission we give to mothers, but also it's kind of cultural. You know, you've heard the phrase like, oh, no hard feelings. Well, we're literally telling people not to experience hard feelings. And I think when we show up for our kids and we say, actually, I am having a hard feeling, like I don't enjoy this. You know, I'm not liking it. I'm angry today. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. This is what it looks like to have hard feelings. And I'll be there with you during your hard feelings. And I'm not putting it on you that you have to solve mine. That's my job. I'm the grown up here. I've learned how to do it. But it doesn't mean I don't have them. I mean, the um, social emotional work that the schools are doing on this for kids and really that pediatrics is focusing on for parents and for kids around it's not about brushing past it. It's not about pretending like we don't have it. It's actually about modeling, working through the feeling, and even probably more important, sitting with the feeling, being okay with the feeling, just being there and not doing anything about it in that moment until we actually have a response that's going to be helpful to us, as opposed to a reaction that's going to cause more harm. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So now you're a badass working mom, business woman. And we talked about before you came on, like, I want to hear about how you do it. And I want to hear about how you manage those very real feelings when you feel like you are not able to do it or you don't have it figured out. Yeah. You know, like my reaction to like, how do I do it? I do it terribly because there's so much more that I want to do and there's so much that feels undone. And like the reality of being a working parent is that there's constant chaos. The kids will be home that uh, unexpectedly somebody gets sick. And so I, I do feel a lot of the time, like I'm falling behind or I'm like not keeping up with the things that I want to do, but I have developed skill sets and coping mechanisms along the way. And some of those are really radically trying to reduce my workload. 
I think this Mm -hmm. is really hard for people who like to plan, who like to think big, who like to dream. And that's my wheelhouse. I love making big plans. So really cutting my workload down and going at a very slow pace has been one of the biggest challenges of my career. And it's taken a lot of practice and work to do. I even wrote a short book about it called Do Half. And it's how to cut half of your workload off of your plate. And it was when I was super sick in the first trimester of my second kid. And I had a toddler at home and I was starting a company and I was trying to do these three things. And I had this crisis moment of, I cannot do what I'm trying to do. Like this, what I've created is not possible. Fine. If I only do one thing, what would it be? If I only did two things, what would it be? Is that enough? Mm-hmm. And that book is free. It's available for people at startupparent.com slash half if you want to get a copy. And it's short because I realized that reading a whole book is really hard when you're pregnant and a mom. <laughs> so it's only about 10,000 words long. So that's one of it. One of the things is really radically cutting your workload. And then mindset wise, not shooting on yourself that you should be doing more than you are. Instead, mm-hmm. being like, this is where we are. This is the reality for right now. And there is a lot that I'm not doing. And yet I'm going to be okay with the stuff that I am able to get done. You know how like in high school, you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into. I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you, 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. Do you feel like those are unique to women or more important for women? Or do you feel like they're universal? I think that there's a difference between women and men in what Eve Rodsky calls how we protect their time. So we see women's time as free and readily available and for us. Like the labor that women do is supposed to be benevolent and on behalf of the family and on behalf of society. So a lot of the free work gets done by women. And a lot of work of men is paid, it's time-bound, it's important, it's prestigious. So there's already a baked-in inequality in how we think about the time of each person. And so we're constantly throwing extra tasks on moms. Oh, they'll just do this. Oh, they'll just do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, they'll just pick this up. We see it in office environments, and we also see it in stay-at-home moms because they're, oh, they have extra time. 
No, they don't. Stay-at-home moms are working a ton, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like childcare is a lot of work. (laughs) They're doing work I do not want to be doing. (laughs) Yes. They do so much work. And they're like, well, she doesn't work. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to take that back too. So we're constantly putting too much work on women and it's usually free or undervalued work. And we just take women's time for granted. So when it comes to cutting your workload, I think it's actually a lot harder to set boundaries as a female and a lot harder to say no. And that relates to a second book and talk that I now give, which is five ways to say no, how to say no and set boundaries. And my favorite phrase of all is very short and very simple. That's not the right fit. That's it. It's not the right fit. Thanks for thinking of me. It's not the right fit. You know, someone invites me to be on a podcast. Thanks so much for thinking of me. Love your show. It's not the right fit right now. You don't have to explain anything. Just say, that's not the right fit. Thanks for thinking of me. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about work in terms of cutting your workload in half. And I'm also thinking about for women, their obligations that are outside of work that they carry. So, right. Like the obligations around taking care of family members. Lord love my in-laws. They have been texting me as we're recording about where to like find the key and where are, what do I need anything from Whole Foods when they're on their way to my home, as opposed to my husband who I'm doing my work right now. This is like paid work that I do. Yes. And they they know that I'm on on a podcast recording that I'm in a meeting. My husband is also doing paid work, but it's not more important than than the work that I'm doing now. But as a female, I am the one that receives the text messages. And so my boundary has been to, I'm glancing as it pops up, but to not, obviously not respond, right? To say, okay, you're going to do it. And then earlier before they arrived, instead of saying, well, I technically have more free time because I guess I could reschedule podcast taping. I could reschedule a meeting with a really important partner, but instead to send a very clear message that says, hey, I realize you're arriving at this time. Both Scott and I are working. I'll be done at X time. He'll be done at X time. We'll see you then. You know, that also feels like the message for for women that we have to set clearly or say clearly. And that's based, I think, on on what Eve Rodsky is saying as well about like that unseen labor that women take on, that kinship labor that we take on in our homes. Yeah. And there's so much generational stuff happening here. I love the example that you shared because I have so many friends who they're like, oh my God, my in-laws won't stop texting me or my parents or my sister. Mm -hmm. And they think they have the right to your time during the day because they don't think that you're the one that's working once you have kids. Schools do it, right? The default parent, they all call the mom. Daycare only ever calls me. So I... You know, I have some hacks because I'm from the startup world and I actually utilize, I hope my, I hope they're not listening to this particular show, but I u- <laughs> utilize, you know how you can silence people on an iPhone? You yeah. can mute notifications during your work day. So you can just have them not show up. You can set do not disturb. You can set an automated notification that says Sarah Peck has notification silenced until 5 p.m. So you can have your tech do the work for you. My husband and I, created one email address for our family that school sends to and that we rotate who checks it. So they don't have access to each of us as individuals. They only have the family email. And that way I don't have to be the default person as the biological female. Holy cow, you're a freaking genius. I love that idea. (laughs) I love that there would be like a default email. I feel like anytime that it can be shared where 
both of you can see it, where both of you are responsible for alternatingly checking it. I think that that's super smart. Okay, so I want to hear about on the podcast, what are some things that you feel like are some of the most important messages that you're sharing with parents there or with business owners there about how to be successful? One of the things that I think is really important and that I hear from everyone so much is how lonely leadership is, how lonely Mm -hmm. being a boss can be. Because you're already feeling like you're alone in at the in being a working mom in like, I don't have time to see my friends anymore. And people at work don't understand me, but then not all the parents understand me. And it can be really isolating and lonely. And then if you're in a leadership position, nobody tells you how much harder it gets. It looks mm-hmm. so shiny and so exciting from the outside. It's like, ooh, I get to be CEO. And they're like, oh my goodness everyone's job relies on me, right? When I break, the company breaks. And the biggest lessons that we're talking about right now, especially in the season of the pandemic for working parents are burnout, energy management, mindset management, and psychological management. Because if you are not able to function or perform, what happens to your work? What happens to the business? And one of the analogies that I think is really useful that I've been sharing over and over again is this idea that You know how, have you ever heard the phrase like parenting isn't, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yes, absolutely. Say that to all the parents in New York. Not a sprint, (laughs) but it's also not a marathon because a marathon is over in five or six hours. Like you get to go home after a marathon at the end of the day. Well, I want to edit that and amend that and say, parenting is actually like packing your bags to walk across the United States. You're starting in California and you've got to get over to Virginia. You've got to get over from coast to coast. Now, in order to do so, you're not going to be able to wake up and run a marathon every single day. Instead, you need to set a pace that you can sustain and you need to nourish yourself and take care of yourself at a pace you can sustain. That means the best way to get across the United States is to sleep regularly and not to sacrifice your sleep for a short-term sprint. It means to drink a lot of water and it means you might be going two to four miles or maybe six miles a day because that's the rhythm that you can sustain. But if you try to go faster than that, you'll end up being burned out. So slower will actually get you there faster. So the word that you said is sustain. And I think sustainability should be the new word for balance, right? The new litmus test for am I in alignment is, is the thing that I'm doing sustainable? Can I, is the way that I am living my life sustainable? There are some seasons where just like in a workout, right? You might be like doing a little extra work right at that second. But if over the course of your life, you're finding that you're constantly in non-sustainable mode, I mean, you are not going to make it to Virginia, my friend. <laughs> you are going to be burnt out. So I That's always right. am thinking through that, that, that filter of sustainability for myself and for my family. And when we're coming in a place where... I'm having difficulty where I feel I'm starting to feel burnout, where I'm starting to feel those initial little inklings in my body if something is not right. A, trying to catch them as soon as possible versus waiting until I already have the migraine and I already am mad at everybody and flipping out. And B, thinking about what is it that's happening right now that feels like it's unsustainable? What is that is really going to be the rate limiting step for success? 
Oh, I love that so much. And figuring out a way, especially I think if you're inside of that, you're like, oh, I'm realizing like the signs of burnout are coming. This is unsustainable. How do I get out of this can feel like a huge trap. And one thing that this isn't my five ways to say no, this is actually one of the scripts is I've overcommitted and I can no longer do this. Here's what I propose instead. Because a lot of people say yes when they're feeling great, and then they realize they're not, they don't have the bandwidth to do it. And the sooner mm-hmm. you can tell somebody, and they may also not have bandwidth. Like if I had emailed you, Whitney, and I said, hey, I signed up to do this podcast with you, and I'm going to need to postpone by a month or two because I've taken on too much. Can we reschedule? You'd probably say, sure, that sounds great. Or, ah, I'm really behind on my podcast schedule. Can we do just 10 minutes? But we would have mm-hmm. found something that worked for both of us. You wouldn't have said you're a horrible human being and you should never exist and go home. Like you wouldn't have said those things to me. We would have figured it out. And so having more permission to say like, oh, you know what? I signed up to do all of these potlucks and I'm not able to do them anymore. I signed up to do Christmas cards and I'm not going to do them anymore. You're Mm -hmm. allowed to change your mind and you're allowed to slow down. Yeah. I'm always coaching parents in my clinic to say with their kids, can we do a rewind? So if a parent maybe acts angry with their kid or they say something that they wish that they hadn't said, that they say, hold on, stop, can we do a rewind? And that they encourage their kids by saying, oh, I think maybe we need a little rewind. Do we need to stop? Do we need to go backwards? What do we need to do to kind of make things right? That that allows the kids to not fall into a shame and blame. And that for ourselves, it allows us to to not fall into a shame and blame. And instead to kind of take ownership of, okay, maybe I overcommitted. Maybe I did something I didn't want to do, but that I can, A, make it right. And I can use this as some feedback as to for next time, how much can I actually commit to? What is my actual bandwidth? That's so good. Agree. I totally agree. I want to hear about beyond sleep and regular exercise and not having your workload be too overwhelming. What personally do you do to prevent burnout? Mm, This is a hard question because of the pandemic, because I'm definitely feeling it. Like this pandemic has been really brutal, but what do I do to prevent burnout? I think in the parenting realm, I love asking people what don't they do? Because sometimes we get this picture of a perfect parent and we kind of, we stitch it together from all these different people. We're like, well, so-and-so's good at this and -and so-and-so's good at this. And And then we have this false belief that we should do everything. And so I love asking people what they don't do. And I have a friend of mine who never folds laundry. She was like, I don't fold laundry. I just leave it in baskets. It goes from dirty to clean in the same basket. And then they can just pull their stuff out. And I think that's amazing. I have another friend that has like five meals a week that are exactly the same and they rotate. I realized in the middle of the pandemic that I kept throwing the kids pajamas in the laundry, but they weren't dirty. So to rewear the pajamas multiple times drastically reduce the amount of laundry that we have. We only take out one toy at a time because I don't want to do a ton of pickup at the end of the day. So lots of little things where you can say, actually, I don't, I don't want to do that. And one big example is my, my older kid really likes video games and I have not liked them since I was a little kid. Like I've never liked video games. And so he keeps asking to play with me. And I, I, this was so freeing for me. I said, no, mom's never going to play video games. She doesn't like them. You can try to add, like, but I'm never going to do those. I will do other things with you, but not that. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's like me and Legos. I know people are going to write me hate mail about that, but I am not a Lego person. And that is my husband's job to do the Legos. I say no to Legos. (laughs) No Legos for me. I do all kinds of other things. So 
as people are listening here who might be thinking about having a startup, they might be thinking about going into business, they might be thinking about becoming leaders. Are there any pieces of advice that you would give to those really business interested mamas who haven't quite taken the plunge, but are really have their have their sights set on it, have it as a dream, but are feeling like maybe I'm just not the right person for this? That's a really good question. So what would I tell business owners? You know, I think everybody has it in them to run a business. I think it's an incredible skill. And it's also, it's, it can be really financially lucrative for you if, especially if you have a full-time job. If you have a side business, the way that you categorize your taxes change. So even just having mm-hmm. one small side business can make you more money in your regular job. Like there's so many cool perks to having a business. I think the skills are easier than most people think. Like you have to sell mm-hmm. something and it has to make money and you have to deliver on it. So don't be afraid to charge money. A lot of women I know get their start by offering free services. Well, I'm just going to try this out. I don't know if I'm good enough. Skip that stage. You are good enough. You won't know if the business works or not until you ask people to pay you money for it. And then it's really Mm -hmm. exciting. People pay you money for it and you do it. And I think remember that if you are starting a business, you're probably starting a business for reasons that are important to you. Maybe it's to have time freedom. Maybe it's to have the schedule that you want. Maybe it's to do the type of work that you want. Maybe it's to change your income, but to keep sight on those goals. Because I know a lot of business owners that are really satisfied working 20 hours a week, but they don't listen to hustle culture because that's not what they're in it for. If you Mm -hmm. listen to too many pieces of advice, you're going to end up trying to build this creature that runs as fast as a startup that has venture backing, but it's also bootstrapped, but then it's like this and then it's like this, and that doesn't add up. So pick your lane. I'm going to do a service business or I'm going to do a product business. I'm going to do it 20 hours a week or I'm going to do it 30 hours a week. I'm going to do it by myself or I'm going to hire a team. I'm going to go after money or I'm not going to go after getting money. But be clear about the choices that you're making and then put on those blinders. You don't need to take advice from the venture capitalists in California that are trying to build unicorns if that's not what you're trying to build. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I I think that last piece of advice is so important for listeners. And the one additional thing that I would add on to all the great things you said is what I had to learn for myself. I, I had all of this advice about you should do individual coaching, about you should do all these things that were going to be kind of like individual time sucks for me. And as a physician, that's really hard because consulting versus giving medical advice is very different. And I knew I really wanted to reach broader audiences and that the thing that lights me up, the thing that gives me passion is having one-on-one conversations with people, but that reach a large group. So the podcasting kind of allowed me to have those more intimate conversations, but not feel like I was stepping in a weird place in terms of the legalities of being a doctor and giving advice. And then also then allowed it as a platform for me to do more speaking and more work with brands that I can align with. And that actually in the end made more money. So I think listen to yourself about what is the thing that when you are your best self, when people say to you, Oh my gosh, you are on fire. Holy cow. That's something only you can do. Listen to that because that is probably your key to what's going to be successful for you. If your heart's not in it, if you're like, yeah, I'm doing the coaching, but that's not really my thing, or I'm selling this product, but I don't really care about it. 
it's probably not going to be successful. It has to be the thing that really lights you up and gives you energy. Couldn't agree more. That's exactly right. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell listeners where to find you, how to get to you, how to get all your stuff that you have that's free, but then also to go deeper with you? Yeah, so I run Startup Parent. You can find us at startupparent.com. And we have a newsletter that goes out every Friday. I love it. I love writing. I try to tell stories about other women entrepreneurs and business owners and feature people so that you can get to know people that look like you. Oh, there's a parent that's doing it. And that's how they're doing it. And wow, they're doing it differently. So our Friday newsletter goes out most Fridays. I do take a break many times. I take a break a lot. (laughs) So it goes out maybe every other Friday. And I try for every Friday. We also have a podcast, the Startup Parent Podcast. I am on Instagram and Twitter as startup underscore parent (laughs) and podcast newsletter. You can get a copy of that book at startupparent.com slash half. And then every January, we open up applications for a year-long leadership incubator. So I didn't talk about it much on the show, but I run the Wise Women's Council, and it's a community for women in leadership positions that are also navigating parenting. We've had 100 people go through it. We put together these small cohorts where you get to go deep with other people, get coaching, see inside other people's lives, and it runs for nine months from March to November every year. So that you can find also startupparent.com slash WWC is how to find it. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to sign up myself. It was wonderful to have you here today, Sarah. Thanks for being our guest. Hey mama, if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.